Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. quite strong in his language and um, we're thankful though that we don't follow people this is a really good example of why we don't follow people you might have a favorite speaker or a favorite preacher or you read people on the internet and that's wonderful but um, I'm gonna say that in this regard just biblically that those people were wrong um, in fact the best commentary on the book of Esther is written by a, a, a woman who's a famous theologian and she says in her commentary that probably Esther shouldn't be taught in a church setting. So this is exactly what we're going to do now. We're going to teach on it for a whole series. And uh, part of the reason we're doing that is that I, I actually believe with all of my heart that 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so because of that, we're going to go at this story. Now, I'm going to tell you that this is not a bedtime. Now, I know that Christian parents, like, we've kind of Christianized this story a little bit. Like, Esther was a beautiful girl who really loved God, and she prayed. And, but, but I want to tell you that when you actually read the scripture, this is not quite a bedtime story that you would read your children. Um, because essentially, th this is one of the most jaw-dropping, head-scratching books in the Bible because the book of Esther never mentions God. No one prays. No miracles happen. The book is never mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. It's kind of as if God went on vacation during this book. And uh, it, the hero of the book is a Jewish young woman who hides her identity. And she's not just any girl, but she's an orphan girl who gets put on basically Persia's version of The Bachelor. Okay? So she's... Uh, now, if you don't watch The Bachelor... Don't admit it now if you watch it, because they're going to be, ju no, nobody's judging you, but um, it, there's children in here today. Basically, she gets put into a sex contest, and, and she wins. Now, if that's not making you feel uncomfortable right now, the next part of the story will. Some of you are like, oh, okay, well, whatever, God uses weird ways. Don't let anybody tell you that Christians are supposed to be like very, because when people tell you that Christians are like, you can't breathe, they haven't read the Bible. Because the Bible, when you actually read it, it's quite, quite uncomfortable. Okay, so she wins this competition. And then um, it, it is true that, that Esther um, is, saves the Jews from certain genocide and, ex and succeeds in having all of her enemies destroyed in a bloodbath. And that's the end of the story, kids. Have a good sleep. Okay, okay, so this is the basis of this story. But I think that this book has a lot of relevance for us today. Because if you're like me, you might resonate with how this story starts. 
It sometimes seems like God is absent and evil abounds. You don't have to put on the TV or watch the news every night to feel that. And it sometimes seems that good things happen despite impure motives. Have you ever wondered that? Maybe you have had a friend like this or a frenemy like this. Who they, you know that their motives are terrible, but then everything keeps working out for them. And you think this is unfair. The book of Esther will speak to you. And then it seems like, as well, God's plans move forward despite us. And this is what the book of Esther tells us. So you have a single woman, Esther, who's barely spiritual, sleeping with a bad guy, due in part to the fact that she has no family to lean on. She meets God, she's transformed, and is issued by God to save others. And so throughout this uh, series, I, I want to look at these following questions. How do I respond to society's unbrid unbridled grasp for power? I think the book of Esther has a lot to talk to us about that. What are the kind of people that God uses? Some of you are waiting to get to a certain level of like unnamed spirituality, and then God can use you. And the book of Esther speaks to that. And then I, th I think thirdly, how does God rescue his people? And this is timely for all of us because at many times in our lives, we are looking for God to rescue us. And I think this book shows us this. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go at this chapter by chapter. So we're going to do a bit of reading. I think this is really important that we actually read out loud the word of God, that we declare it, that we speak it, because uh, in our words there is power. So Esther chapter 1, and then uh, for all of you history buffs today, today's going to be a very strong history lesson. For those of you that hate history, this could be a cure to your insomnia, so praise the Lord. There's always a silver lining in everything. I got that one from my mother-in-law because she always is like, She's godly, and she'll say to me, well, you know, if the message is good, praise God. And if it's boring, the Lord's given me peace and sleep. So I give that to you today. In the middle, you're angry and bored. Uh, just say, thank you, God, for your rest. Okay, Queen Vashti, Vashti is disposed. This happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Kush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all of his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the, prince, the princess and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a whole 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom. Now, some of you have been to, to, been to parties. Some of you are from other cultures where you like really, you really know how to party. You know how to throw a wedding. You know how to, and this is 180 days, which for those of you that are not, this is about six months. It's a six-month party. Wow. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from least to greatest who were in the city of Citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. Some of you wonder, what, why is this part in here? I'm not on HGTV. The reason this is in here is because it's telling you this man... Uh, Xerxes, who we're going to talk about in a minute, was extremely powerful and extremely wealthy. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in golden goblets, each one from, different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. But, the king's command, but by the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. This is like open bar to the maximum, okay? 
Nobody was Pentecostal there. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink, no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of Xerxes. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, in other words, brackets, drunk, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served, this is a very godly story, uh, commanded the seven eunuchs who served him. Now, I would like to say that these are the first rapper names right here coming up. So we got Me Human. If any of you are starting a rap career, this could be a place you find your name. If you say them with a rap accent, Me Human. Bizza. From the West Coast, Bizza. Okay, so we got Bizza, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha. Their parents had a lot of fun making these names. Zethar and Carcass. Now, carcass is, like, cool because it's got a double entendre there, right? In English, at least. Okay. Uh, to bring him, it has nothing to do with the teaching. That was all for free. To bring him before Queen Vashti wearing, Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and his nobles, for she was lovely to look at. Most historians think that he was asking her to come only wearing her crown. Okay, so you do the math there. She... She's going to wear her birthday suit. That's what he said. But when the attendants delivered the queen, king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. She knew about me too long before it was a thing. She's saying, no, I'm not coming. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. We'll see why this was important in a minute. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the time. Those are the people with the rapper names. And uh, they were closest to the king. Karshina, Shethar, Adamatha, Tarshish, Mares. Marcina, Mimukin, and the seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. According to the law, what must be done to Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes, Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Mimukin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against the nobles and the people of all the provinces of Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she wouldn't come. This very day, the Persian and media, Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end to the disrespect and discourse. Some of you women are getting very hot as you read this. Yeah, they're right. Okay, so, therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then, when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice, so the king did as Mamukin promised. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province with its own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. And that ends the end of chapter 1. And a lot of you think, we just read that, I am so blessed. I know exactly what to do with my life now. It's like, none of us, right? You read it and think, what is going on? How is this a book of the Bible? How does this like even have anything to do with God? Well, I, I want to give delve a little bit into the history of um, this book. So it's, Esther is one of the oldest books in the Bible. It's one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. It was written about 2,500 years ago. And um, we don't know who the author is. There's no internal evidence for who wrote the book. 
We ultimately know that it was God that breathed on this book, but some historians perhaps think it was Mordecai, uh, Esther's cousin, who we're going to meet in the next chapter, who penned it. Um, Jewish people in particularly in particular love this book because it shows the beginning of the Feast of Purim, which we're going to talk about in, two, in a few weeks. Christians, however, uh, haven't known what to do with the book. And um, let's just start, just give me a little bit of a background if you don't know the story. Um, the first character um, that's introduced here by God is Xerxes. And Xerxes is a historical character. We actually know quite a bit about Xerxes because Herodotus, if you're a historian, you have read a lot of Herodotus. And uh, Herodotus wrote a lot about him. Um, he was um, a giant in history. He was like a god to the people. They, they said that he, when he issued an edict or a decree, it was like he had the words of the sun. And people listened to him and believed in him like he was a god. Uh, Xerxes was not a, a God-fearer at all. We don't know what religion he followed, but history would lead us to believe that he was probably into Zoroasticism, so he was uh, like a pagan. And um, he, he was extremely, I don't know if we have, do we have maps in this? Uh, he, he, yeah, he covered, okay, so here you've got the Persian Empire. This is where he um, reigned. In ancient world, basically this is like the whole world. He was in charge of the whole world. This was not just some kid. He was in charge of the whole world. That would include today, if we were to lay these maps on top of each other, like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Turkey, all the way over uh, to, to Pakistan. So if you could have one person even leading all those countries today, that's like, whoa, you got, you got somebody that knows what they're doing. This is a man who had a lot of power, a lot of power. His father was Darius, and if you read the book of Daniel, you read about King Darius. King Darius um, was a, a really strong ruler. He took over um, many, many parts of the known world at the time, but then he gave his son, um, Xerxes, who, by the way, wouldn't have probably met his dad till he was about five years old. He was a spoiled kid in a palace, and then at 30, historians say, he took over Persia. And he didn't just take over. He took over. Like, he, he was um, cruel and he was powerful. Well, how did he keep his power like that? He kept his power the same way that often people keep their power today. You keep it by giving people favors. Okay, so nobody's going to um, come back on you if you're throwing a six-month party, Right? Imagine if your friend said to you, hey, listen, so I'm thinking that we're going to have a six-month party, and I'm going to pay your salary for the next six months, and you can do whatever you want. That person is never being defriended from your Instagram role, okay? They're paying your salary. They're paying for all your food. They're letting you go anywhere and do anything. So this is how he kept his power. He kept his power um, by, um, by favoring the people that he needed to favor. Um, what we do know is this, is that when, um, when Xerxes was um, setting up Susa, Susa became the center kind of of the universe and the world. It was around this time, uh, a couple of decades before this, when King Darius was king, we know in the book of Esther that um, the Jewish people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. King Darius had said, yep, yeah, 
Cyrus had said, you can go back to Jerusalem. All of you guys, go back to Jerusalem. But some people stayed. And this is the question. These are the people we find in the book of Esther. People who stayed. Okay, so now, why would you have stayed is the question. Why, why do we find Esther and Mordecai staying in the book of in the book of Esther, well, there's a couple reasons for it. Sometimes if you had no money and you had no way of getting back, well, then you're kind of stuck there. But many Jewish people stayed in Susa because that's where the party was. They stayed there because it was comfortable there. Because if you went back to Jerusalem, like, you're going to have to do, like, hard work. You're going to have to, like, build up the walls. You're going to have to, um, like, build stuff. It's not, like, Pretty. Jerusalem at this time was not like a shiny, pretty city. It was kind of like uh, it had been conquered, a conquered ghetto, really. So most historians think that Mordecai staying was a sign that he wasn't really willing to trust God. Okay, so this sets up our story. So the people that are actually stained, that are Jewish, have disobeyed God at some level. And then they're fraternizing with this exerces because you don't want to miss a party. Some of you have a lot of FOMO. I'm a little bit like this too. I, I have to, during some times in my life, turn off my social media because I'm so sad. Oh, they're having a party and I can't go. Like I, I, like, I don't like... So a lot of Jewish people would have stayed because they like King Xerxes is throwing six-month parties. I'm staying. We're going to talk about that a little bit a few weeks as we meet um, King Darius. I, I want you to know, though, that King Xerxes, while he was full of power, he was cruel. And history shows us that he was particularly cruel uh, to anybody that got in his way. So he had this big throne, and the throne, uh, which plays into the Book of Esther, it was uh, really ornate. It was gold and it was huge. And anywhere that um, he went, he had these men. He had 10,000 men that would follow him around. Um, don't admit it, but if you've heard of this, the, um, the movie 300. Um, yes, I see your head shaking. Just shake your head like this if you've seen it. No, I have, no, that is a terror. I'm not recommending you say it, but that, that movie is about King Xerxes. And it shows, like, basically, it's like a CGI. They have to CGI everybody because there's not that many people that have done P90X for that long, right? Like, it's, it's uh, they, they, they CGI everybody who's, like, strong. And, but this is, this is true. King Xerxes, everywhere he went, 10,000 men came with him. Now, we see celebrities that have, like, an entourage of people with them. They have, like, 20 or 30. And those are the same people that go broke, like, a few years later, right? <laughs> They had all their friend was eating all the cheese, but King Xerxes had 10,000 men who followed him around, like a stadium full of people. It's like he's going to the corner store and 10,000 bulked up people come with him. This is not, it, when he marched out into the world, into, those, into the places of the world, millions of soldiers went with him. This is very important that we understand this historically. He wasn't just, he wasn't um, Prince Harry. I know I can't call him Prince anymore. But he wasn't Prince William, okay? Just like a nice guy going and like cutting. I know those of you that are into the crown right now, this is, I'm, I'm not doing this justice. But you know, he's not just cutting banners. He was powerful. And history says that if you even looked at him, goodbye. Powerful, 
cruel, a dominator. He thought he was God. Now imagine you're a God-fearer living in this, under this kind of rule, by this kind of person. How are you feeling? Hopeless. Like, God, where are you? I don't even know. You're feeling like you can't move, you can't breathe. I think this is an important story for us to understand today because I think a lot of Christians feel this way in our society. I think we feel a little bit like nobody cares about us anymore. We don't have any power anymore. It feels like the powers that be, the powers that are rising, want to squash us. And I think a lot of us, because we're feeling that way, we think, okay, so the way, the way that I'm going to get power again is I'm going to align myself with the powers that be. And the book of Esther shows us that this is never the way. It does tell us this, though, that in the middle of a place that's godless, in the middle of great power, God is still moving. And in the middle of all kinds of wealth, in the middle of uncontested power, God stands in the middle of it. And that should bring all of us hope that no matter where we're standing, no matter what our circumstances, no matter if we feel very far from God, no matter if it feels like we cannot hear his voice, God's still moving and breathing. I love that we sang that song this morning, even when I can't feel it, you're working. Even when I can't see you, you're moving. This is the word of the Lord to us in the book of Esther. That in the middle of empire, God is there. I think it asks us a lot of questions about power as well. I think um, if, if, you look at, if you look at Xerxes, um, you would say that he has absolute power. If you, if you study this historically, and I encourage you to do that this week, you might have a hard time finding some commentaries, but you, you can find, look up the power of Xerxes. It's, it's insane. I had, um, Cassandra typed off my notes today, and she was like, are, are we, are we going to be a really long time? You have like 14 pages of notes. Because there's so much information on how powerful Xerxes was. This is very, very important for us to understand as we start studying this book, though. That somehow God was able to save a beleaguered bunch of rebels from an orphan girl just tells you, using an orphan girl, just tells you up against a power that was so powerful that the world had seen nothing like Xerxes before. Not just like, sometimes I think you start to read in the Bible and you start to think, oh, that's just another king, another king. This was a king that the world had never seen before. I think I, I want to say this, though, that power, what we find from Xerxes is that power without God always corrupts. Always corrupts. Now, I think we hear this, I mean, I think if you've taken any history courses or any kind of political science courses, you, you've heard the quote, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And this is true, but I, but I think uh, what we have to square with a little bit is that power always will corrupt unless we allow the Lord, unless we give God the power that we have. Now, as I say this, some of you are, are, are thinking to yourself, well, that's great, because like, if you haven't looked at me lately, I'm no King Xerxes. I have no power. So great, I don't have to worry about being corrupted. I'm off the hook. Like, you know when you get a good point like that? You're like, this has nothing to do with me. I wish my boss came to this church, though. 
<laughs> but the truth is, uh, all of us, all of us have to square with the fact that we have been given much power. And um, particularly, uh, I, I can speak this very clearly to Western, uh, Western Christians who, have, who hold the most power per capita in the world. We run the risk as hyper-individualists in a hyper-individualistic culture of just thinking that we're islands unto ourselves and you haven't seen my credit card bills. I got no power, none. And then you drive your SUV through the Starbucks uh, driving line and make purchases on things. Listen, as Christians, and particularly Western Christians, we have to, we actually have to say to ourselves, yes, I have been given power. I, I do have power. And God has asked me to steward that power in a way that honors him. You see, when we, um, all of us are, are, um, are prone to be power hungry. All of us. Do you know how you know? I know this because I have four kids. And one of the first things that all of my kids said was, I am the boss. You're not in charge of me. And my, the, the favorite thing that they've all said at some point in their lives was like, um, they knew about Jesus, right? So then I would say, you need to clean your room. Jesus is my boss. You didn't tell me to. That's going to get you in trouble. That is not the right thing to say to this mom. But the truth is, all of us are grasping, even as little people, we grasp for power. We want power. We want control. Now, you might call it something else in your life. I'm not a power-hungry person. I just like to have control. I just like things to be correct, sinless. I like things to be in order. Some of you use order. It's a synonym for power. I like things to be correct. Synonym for power. I like things to just be the way that they should be. Synonym for power. We are all struggling in a power struggle with ourselves and with God. The book of Esther tells us this, that when we do not give our power to God, some of you are arguing in your mind right now with me. And you're saying, well, Jesus came. He gave up his power. Yes, he did. He submitted his power to God, to the Holy Spirit. He submitted that. He said, God, I'm going to give you what I am and who I am. He submitted the power to God. But then the Bible also tells us that Jesus walked with power as he walked across the countryside of Judea, Samaria. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. And some of us have negated power because we, we, we're nervous of the power. We understand that power corrupts. But then we've negated, instead of submitting it to God, what we've done is we've shirked our responsibility as kings, as daughters and sons. I want to suggest today that the book of Esther tells us that God wants to give all of us. He's given all of us a measure of power and we must steward that power under his command. We must say, God, you are ultimately in charge of my life, and I'm giving you, uh, <clears throat> I'm giving you my power. I'm giving you this power for you to work through me. You see, um, when we when we don't actually pray these prayers, what happens is um, we have unintentional hypocrisy in our lives. So by that I mean this: we say to ourselves, oh, "I'm not really a powerful person," and we hide 
the power that we have. And we become manipulative then. Have you ever felt yourself doing this before? Becoming manipulative with your power? I know none of you will admit this, but here's how it works. You, you think to yourself, I'm just going to talk this way to this person so that they will respond this way. And we do these kinds of things. We throw parties so that people will do what we want them to do. Now we don't throw 180 day, day parties, but we throw, you know, we are all experts at quid pro quo, and now we all know what that means. So thank you, Donald Trump. Uh, this idea, when we see unbridled power, though, we recoil against it. And we think, oh, that would never be me. I can't even stand that. I feel sick around it. But if we take a better look at ourselves, we recognize that in the small details of our life, we're always trying to grasp for more power. And the question is, what do we do about that? Do we just say, forget it, I'm just going to become a, a hermit? No, I, I actually think we have to be intentional and say, God, you've given me power. Now I'm giving that power back to you. And how do we do that on a daily basis? minute-by-minute minute basis, I think it goes, comes back to what I talked about last week, that every week, every, every, not every week, if you're like me, it's like every five minutes, you have to be saying, God, I'm giving all of myself to you. I want all my power under your command. And when we do that, God allows us, um, I, I think it allows our power to be stronger. Listen, I believe that this is the time where God's people actually have to stand up with strength and with power we got to use the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be afraid to walk in power and authority. The world is looking for people who will walk in power and authority. If you're tired of being just like a, seeming like a weak Christian, today is the day you say, yes, God, would you give me that power? And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steward it under your command. So we say yes to God. Second thing we see from this um, is that you can have all the power in the world, but it will not ensure that you will have power over people. So King Xerxes is a very powerful man, most powerful the world has ever seen. And then he tells his wife, who's supposed to fear him, come out here and parade yourself, and she says no. Queen Vashti should be all of our heroes. <laughs> Ladies in the house, she, she should be, listen, listen, can I just speak to the single ladies here for a minute? If you're a single lady, you, you need to run away from someone that would ask you to do something that would make you uncomfortable. I echo those statements that we've heard from our society. The church should have been the first one standing up and saying that, by the way. It's kind of shameful that we're like coming late to the party on this. There's no, do you see the ungodly talk? in Esther chapter 1, where they're saying, oh, we can't have that because women should be put under the thumb. It's interesting that God raises, like, God is the first feminist. He's raising up Esther in the middle of all these people saying, woman, get down. Anyways, that's a topic for another. I'm going into, I'm going into a bunny trail right now that I do not want to go into. But, but listen to me. If you're with a guy who, who doesn't honor you, who doesn't respect you, you can say no, and that is not ungodly. But it's interesting to me that uh, King Xerxes, most powerful person the world's ever seen, and yet people still could say no to him. I actually was praying about this week. I think this is a prophetic word for somebody here today. You're like flabbergasted. I don't know if it's your kid that said no to you or like somebody at work that said no to you. Your power will never be enough to get people to do what you want them to do. That is just true. And as Christians, listen, our, our job is not to get people to do what we want them to do, but our, our job is to, is to pray people 
into the dominion of the king of kings. Now, this gets off rail. This, this, this meets, the rubber meets the road. Listen, I'm a mom of teenagers, so I do know this. I, I want to I bully my kids into doing what, I want to say to them, like, listen, you better get it together, or the Holy Spirit's going to tell me, and it is not going to be pretty. I will admit to you, I have used that line in actual fact. Does it work? No. No, it doesn't work. My job, listen, this is why we got to be people of prayer. We can't be people of like gross, we are different than the world. We are different than the world. We are different than the world. We're people of prayer. Moms and dads, you got kids who are not serving the Lord. You got to pray them into the kingdom. I mean, you got to set boundaries and you got to have rules, but you, you can't manipulate people into doing what you want them to do. You're going to fight yourself into a battle that doesn't, that's going to exhaust you and not take you anywhere. And the book of Esther tells us this. King Xerxes was trying to get people to do what he wanted them to do. And all the power in the world will never get you there. Third thing is, and, and so this helps us, listen, this helps us with our emotional maturity. Some of you are prone to throwing hissy fits every three hours because people aren't doing what you want them to do. Can I just ask you, again, this goes back to our first point, to submit our power to God. This will stop us from having to throw hit. So what? Someone's not doing what you want them to do. Oh, well. God, I'm going to leave them to you. Some of you just need to say today aloud, God, I'm leaving that coworker to you. God, I'm leaving that boss to you. God, I'm leaving that sibling to you. God, I'm leaving that child to you. Still feed them and clothe them, but leave them to the Lord in their heart. This matters. Because even when you're exerces, even when you've got all the stuff in the world, you've got gold couches. By the way, those don't sound, those do not sound comfortable. Imagine you're watching the Super Bowl tonight on a gold couch. The worst. Anyways, um, some of you are like, I could fix it. I could fix it. It'd be fine. Uh, and then here's the other thing. No matter how much power you get, you're still going to have to deal with you. It says that then the king became furious and burned with anger. I like this verse because I think um, it's not going to become my life verse. But uh, it's interesting because some of us, I think, we think that if we got all the power of King Xerxes, nothing would bother me at all. You ever watch one of those Lotto 649 commercials or whatever they're? You could win $90 million. And you, all, you know you're not going to win it, but you have this little conversation with your spouse. What would we do if we won $90 million? And you kind of think to yourself, you become a, I become a different person. I'd be so nice all the time. I'd just be doing this with all the money. I'd be giving a 30% tip at the keg. I would be, and you know, we think that we'd become a different, no, you wouldn't. All the power in the world. Some of you are spending all your life trying to get more power, trying to climb another ladder, trying to get to a place where people respect you, and all the money, all the power, all the fame, all the fortune, you're still going to have to deal with yourself on Monday morning. You're still going to have to deal with the fits of rage and the anger and the emotional, and, which is why you should deal with it now. Allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you now. Don't leave it. Because there's embarrassment that comes with that. So King Xerxes is embarrassed that Vashti won't do what he's, and he's got to call all the rappers together and they got to tell him what to do. Because he's got power, but he can't make a decision, clearly. You're still going to have to deal with you. And today, so like some of you have said things like this. Well, like, I will be open to be, being used by the Lord when? 
when I, when I get it figured out, when I'm more respected, when I'm more, I don't know, I don't know what your when is, when I'm through this difficult season in my life. And if the book of Esther tells us anything, it's this. God will use you right here, right now, because all the things that you're stretching for, that you're growing for. This life is a vapor, here, today, gone, tomorrow. The things that matter are not often the things that we're chasing after. And everybody, no matter what you have or no matter how little you have, has to still put their pants on the same way, has to still deal with themselves. Sometimes this is, I, I know for some of you you're thinking, this is, this is not, like, I, I do know this, but uh, there's something that we actually have to stop, we actually have to stop ourselves at times. What am I chasing? Where is my heart really directed towards? How am I using the power God's given me? And then I, I, I want you to know, the fourth thing is this, is that God is working even the places that seem filled with sin and terribleness. God is working. God is at work. Even when you can't see him, he's working. So here are some questions that I think this chapter asks us to ask ourselves. The first one is this. Are there places where I'm grasping for power that hasn't been submitted to God? Are there places in my life that I'm submitting? And do you know how you know you're grasping for power? Your chest tightens. Our bodies. We are, like, we are embodied people. It's not just, you're not just like a soul like walking around in some like shell of a body. Your body actually tells you things about your soul. You know that feeling when you're like, <gasps> you know when the promotion comes up? And like, you're wondering if the person in the cubicle next to you is going to get the job or you are, and you feel like an automatic like, <gasps> I better fancify my resume. So are there places where you're grasping for power that it hasn't been? Now, I'm not saying that the, listen, power, if God's put you in a place of power, praise God, submit it to God. If you don't yet have power, submit the very little power that you feel like you have to God. And I, I'm going to suggest to you that you've got more, if you began to just write it down, you've got more power than you think you do. The very fact that you're here and it snowed like a foot last night, you got power. Quite literal and probably figurative too. Have you submitted every part of your power to God? This is the parable of the talents over and over and over again. Jesus said that if we'll give him what we've got, if we'll submit it to him, then he'll grow it. Some of you maybe feel a bit powerless here today. You need to submit it to God because if you don't, your power might grow, but your corruption will grow as well. Am I submitting? Am I grasping for power that hasn't been submitted to God? Submit it to God today. This, the second question I think we have to ask is this. Am I dealing with disappointment because I can't get people to do what I want them to do? Some, some of you, your self-worth is all tied up in whether you can get somebody to do what you want them to do. And you, you can't sleep. You've lost peace over it. You've lost sleep. You've lost health. Because you can't get people to do what you want them to do. Today, I want you to submit that to God and just say, God, I submit. I release them to you. I release them to your blessing. I can't get them to do it. Some of you have been reading all those books, like the 48 Laws of Power, that tells you like all the weird ways that you can shake people's hands to make them feel like you're powerful. It's weird. Nonsense. It's nonsense. We're people of the king. 
we need to submit people to God. This is where our prayer lives must be strong. Because we actually believe that prayer affects things. We actually believe that prayer changes people's attitudes. I actually believe that, that marriages can be put back together through prayer. I'm not going to stand up on this stage today and tell you that there's 41 ways that you can manipulate somebody into like, well, you probably wouldn't come back if I said that anyways, but this, this, is, about, this is about prayer. We don't get our prayer lives straight so that God will like us more. We get our prayer lives straight because we got no other solution. This is the only solution. And are there areas of my life, are there areas in my life and in my place that I believe will get fixed if I just get more, you fill in the blank. If I just get more gold couches, or if I just get more friends, or if I just get more money, or if I get that raise, or if I, and today that's falseness. We, we need to call it for what it is. We need to say, God, all that we need is you. Because if you can take a little girl who is in disobedience, a little girl who is in, if you can work through her, you can certainly work through my life. And all I need is you. These are not lies or exaggerations we're singing. This is the truth from the word of God that all we need is him. And as simple as it sounds, that's the beauty of the gospel, that it is simple. It's not this complicated trigonometry. God, all we need is more of you. And maybe, lastly, are there areas of my life where I've decided that God is not present? Maybe right here in this place, you feel like God is not present. Can you just write in this place, say, God, I believe that you're present. I believe that you're working because that is who he is in all the areas of our lives this is what we must ask this is what the book of Esther chapter 1 challenges us to ask how have we dealt with power and are we dealing correctly with the limitations of power all over the place this morning would you just stand to your feet God wants us just to wrestle out some of these issues. We've got, we've got to wrestle them out. This is not a message where you can just go and here's four things that i got to do. Because how you deal with power and how I deal with power might be categorically different, but we're both dealing with it. This is where we just pray. So I just, just in this place, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you, hearts to be courageous. Just in this place, I believe God wants to speak to us. Some of these questions that uh, have been proposed, I, I just want you to ask yourself, am I, are there areas in my life where I'm grasping for power that I have not handed it over to God? And is the Holy Spirit, some of you, the Holy Spirit will speak to you in whispers. Some of you, he'll give you a picture. Some of you, he'll bring back to your remembrance the scripture. But just as you sense those things, would you just say, yeah, God, I submit that area to you. Give that area to you. Whew. Just as you do that, listen, so, some of you have carried great burdens. Some of you have been trying to get people to do what you want them to do. Today, just release them. Just say, God, I release that person to your care. I release that situation. God, we just, we do release those things to you. 
I pray that even now that, God, we would walk out of here lighter, that we would steward our power, the power you have given us, with great care under the submission of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. I pray that you would continue to show us from your word how we can be more like you. We love you, Jesus. There is no one else like you. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.